electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber, the New York Stock Exchange. In a few moments, SEC Chair Gary Gensler is with us to discuss everything from crypto regulation to China to SPACs to gamification and payment for order flow. Lots to get to with the chair. In the meantime, futures steady. China weakness is again on the radar. Nice upside surprise from Empire today at nearly twice the estimate. David. Carl, yeah, we do have a special show for our viewers today as we will devote our first half hour to an exclusive interview with SEC Chair Gary Gensler. This follows his testimony before the Senate Banking Committee yesterday. We have, as Carl just said, so many important issues to cover with the SEC Chair. We're going to hope to move through sort of some of the following regulatory topics. Crypto, Robinhood, specifically payment for order flow, the SPAC market. China, of course, concerns there as well, or here, I should say, over the VIE structure that's used by so many U.S.-listed Chinese companies. Want to get to the fallout from the meltdown of Archegos, also ESG. You can tell. Lots to do. With that, let's bring in the SEC Chair, uh, Gary Gensler. Uh, Chair Gensler, appreciate your taking time with us and uh, your willingness, hopefully, to move through so many of those important topics. And with that, let me start with uh, last week in crypto and this week. Of course, you talked about it yesterday in your testimony. Uh, in terms of answering questions as to whether some of these tokens should be regulated as securities. Last week, Brian Armstrong, the CEO of um, Coinbase, had some pretty uh, pointed things to say in a tweet. And I'll read the middle one here. He said, they, and the they is you, as in the SEC, refuse to tell us why they think it's a security and instead subpoena a bunch of records from us. We comply, demand testimony for our employees. We comply and then tell us they'll be suing us if we proceed to launch with zero explanation as to why. Love to get you to respond to that. Um, Thank you for having me on your show. It's always good to be back. Um, Look, we have uh, a set of investor protection uh, laws in this country, a basic bargain that was laid out in the 1930s, where Congress wanted to protect the public against fraud and other uh, bad actors. Investors get to decide what to invest in as long as companies make full and fair disclosure. Now, in those laws, there's a very broad definition of what is a security. In fact, it has like 35 different subparts to it. And the reason Congress did that is they really wanted to protect investors against that fraud that can come up in the capital markets. And so cryptocurrencies has come along. I think the laws are clear, the case law, the Supreme Court's weighed in on this multiple times, uh, and that many of these tokens uh, do come under the securities laws. And to the extent that a platform, a lending platform or a trading platform, whether centralized or so-called decentralized, and I say so-called, has securities on it, our uh, investor protection uh, regime is there to protect the public. I think the public benefits right. from that, and that's what we're trying to do. 
Are you actually, though, communicating with Coinbase? Again, back to this, you know, it's not often you see a CEO kind of criticize the SEC in the way that uh, Mr. Armstrong chose to. He said, you know, the SEC responded by telling us the lend feature that they have is a security. Okay, seems strange. How can lending be a security? So then we asked them to help us understand and share the view. We make an effort to work with them. And he indicates you have no interest in working with them. Is that is that true or is he lying? Let, let me let me take it more to the generic. If you'd understand why I'm not going to get into any one company or one token. Uh, but our, our SEC uh, staff talked to a lot of participants in this market, as we do in other markets as well. And if they come in, ask a question, and I suggest they come in, and something is a security, then work with us to get registered. Now, as it relates to lending products, lending products uh, for a long time have been part of the securities law. In fact, the first word, the first word in those 30 or 35 things Congress listed in 1930 was note, a note comma, stock, comma, bond, and it goes on and on. In 1990, the Supreme Court addressed themselves to what is a note that comes under the securities laws. So I think that the law is clear. We do work with and talk to many uh, companies and projects in this space. Uh, Mr. Commissioner, it is terrific to have you on the show. Jim Cramer here. There's something that... uh, I know that uh, Tim Massett, CFTC, you've had that job, ran it, told me on Mad Money. He thinks that Tether in specific, which is a stable coin, represents actually maybe one of the great threats to the financial markets. Talking about how we've seen this movie before, it looks small, subprime markets, just derivatives. Uh, Do you know anything about what's really in a $60 billion, uh, I don't know, they don't, security, asset, whatever, that is Tether? And isn't that, doesn't that represent systemic risk? to the American financial system. I, I thought that uh, your interview with Tim was, it was quite uh, uh, good. And if I can quote him, Tim said that stable coins are a bit like the chip at the casino where somebody's going from gaming table to gaming table. And you see the $125 billion of stable coins that are in existence today are intertwined in the crypto lending and crypto trading space. 70, 80% of all the trading, whether it's Bitcoin versus this or that, is versus one of these stable coins. As Tim said, the chip at the gaming tables that people were trading in and out of. And as Chair Powell even raised in, in recent testimony, they do have some attributes that look like money market funds. And I think that's what Tim was talking about as well. Well, uh- Mr. Chairman, one of the things that confused me is uh, Alicia Haas, who is the CFO of Coinbase, suggested that perhaps you don't have much knowledge about this area and she needs and you need to be educated. When I look at your background, I think that perhaps you have a formative education in crypto. Would you agree? Well, I, I'm learning every day. I learned from the wonderful students and faculty at MIT. I was honored to be a professor there teaching in blockchain and crypto finance and and the like, but uh, I, I look forward to further engagement with the companies in this space and the market participants. And it's really about how we bring basic investor protection uh, to protect people against fraud manipulation. And this is an area that's been rife with fraud and abuse. You know, uh, Chairman Gensler, I think we're going to end many of these topics with this question from me, which is, OK, when is the SEC actually going to do something? 
Uh, and so I'll start with, with crypto. When are you going to put into effect some of the things you've been indicating here that you're at least thinking about doing in terms of the regulations for this market? Well, we're doing it right now, and even Chair Clayton was doing it before me in the SEC's remarkable career staff. We work with our fellow regulators, Commodity Futures Trading Commission, and we both have authorities in the markets and over the markets and to help protect the investors. Uh, we brought about six dozen enforcement cases to help protect investors in this space. We encourage uh, the platforms to come in, properly register, work with us if we need to sort of sort through whether it's, you know, some of our some of our uh, laws written in bricks and mortar time, transfer agents. I know your listeners aren't thinking about that or custody. Maybe we have to adjust some things, but to work with us and to come inside uh, to help uh this market, if this market's going to have any potential, it's not going to long survive uh, outside of an investor protection um, framework. All right. want to move on to uh, another topic that we'd indicated, of course, which is uh, payment for order flow involves Robinhood, certainly, uh, given how important it is to their business. Yesterday in your testimony, you talked as well about orders competing with other orders uh, that was about competition and perhaps Citadel's place there, since it's a very important part of this. One party buying literally half the retail flow in America. These market orders, you uh, said, could actually diminish competition in the marketplace. Uh, Chair Gensel, I'd love you to listen to a response as well, though, from the Virtu Financial CEO, specifically about you and what he had to say in terms of what he claims is you conflating some issues when it comes to payment for order flow, and then get your response. He's conflating the issue of payment for order flow and the inherent conflict, which has been addressed and dealt with for the last 30 years by the SEC with order routing and price improvement. Two separate issues and the data around price improvement is so overwhelmingly compelling. $11 billion of price improvement in 2020, $11 billion and zero commission trading in this country. Game, set, match. Your response? Well, let me just uh, address, I don't think that the disclosures that are put out really address the question about whether people are getting best execution. So best execution uh, means best execution. And so we have something in America where nearly half of the trading is going to dark pools and to the wholesalers, one of whom you were just interviewing, wholesalers that dominate and concentrate the market. And even that which is on the so-called lit markets, the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ, many of the trades there are not being fully displayed. So this concept of price improvement is against a measuring stick, which is a measuring stick that's not fully reflective of the market. Our, Our consolidated take, our national best bid, best offer, so to speak, does not reflect the half in the dark markets. It doesn't even reflect a lot that's on the exchanges. So if you or I make a trade, a market order retail trade, where does it go? 90 plus percent chance it goes to a handful of wholesalers, one of whom you were interviewing. I would say that's a conflict. And uh, the thing that we're trying to do is update our markets for the 2020s. They were last seriously updated in 2005. A lot's changed in those 16 years. You know, Mr. Chairman, I want to follow up on that. Uh, 
Just the notion of payment for order flow, and I understand what the Virtue fellow said, but isn't it true that if brokerages are optimizing their uh, digital engagement practices for their own revenue, uh, that may not be uh, exactly on the same page as what of giving investors the best returns. So therefore, investors should know ahead of time that they may not be getting the best returns by so-called paying no commissions. Jim, I, I thank you for that. Uh, you're absolutely right. So today's data analytics aren't what you and I learned in college. They're very sophisticated and they can optimize for the trading platform or the robo-advisor to maximize their revenues and their data collection. That may well be in conflict with your investor returns when they're trying to use a behavioral prompt to get you to trade more or to move into one of their investment products. Uh, Secondly, you mentioned zero commission. Zero commission does not mean it's free to the retail public. Uh, you, you may not be getting best execution. And so that's what our economists, that's what we're looking at very closely to see, can we do better? And I think that we can do better than the regime that was laid out 16 years ago. You know, when we talk about uh, regulation exposure to a number of new platforms and technology, not just in financial services, one uh, thing we keep coming back to is the popularity of the platforms creating friction for regulators. Is it any more difficult to regulate something that's popular, maybe because uh, the client base does believe uh, it is zero commission? Well, you raise a good point. Technology has come along uh, and changed the nature of finance. I mean, the Internet came along and that changed the nature of finance as well. So these are the challenges we have. It makes it an exciting job. But at the core, what we're trying to do is get competition in the market. I mean, it's a, it's a basic uh, thing in America. I'm deeply a markets person and believe in transparent trading and competition, order by order competing. And right now we have large wholesalers buying a bunch of that order flow. And so that the retail public, most of your trades are going to a small handful of wholesalers, and in fact, they've publicly announced there's a high concentration amongst two or three of them. And that's not the lit markets of New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ uh, as we know them. Uh, Mr. Chair, on the, on the subject of gamification, we were just looking at shares of AMC. Obviously, we're talking about Robinhood. I mean, they're on college campuses encouraging students to open accounts, I think giving them Maybe it's 15 bucks to do so. You know, I know uh, from personal experience, there's a lot of college students who are trading Bitcoin on their phone, trading in any number of these so-called meme stocks. It's unclear how much they really understand about the markets or the underlying fundamentals. Is that a concern to you? Well, I think it's, it's, it's a positive that more Americans are, are investing in the markets. But investing for the long run is different than trading daily or trading uh, hour to hour on on an app. And I would just say, and you can go to investor.gov and see better uh, uh, details on this at the SEC, but that day trading often lowers your returns. But it's positive that more people are investing. It's better to invest for the long run than try to uh, day trade or even hourly trade. Mr. Chairman, i got to follow up on this because I believe that some of these apps, let's just say Robinhood, I think they maximize trading and volume. And that does not necessarily align with the customer's incentives. How do we teach the customer that? Well, I think that we, we 
certainly need to do all collectively, the media, the SEC and others, all we can do to help educate the public. Ultimately, the public gets to decide what they invest in. That's our basic bargain. Um, but also, we have the SEC here to try to protect the public. And what we're trying to do in terms of what you just said is if the, if the application, the platform, is maximizing and running an algorithm in the background to maximize their revenues, whether it's a robo-advisor or a trading app, that presents a potential conflict right there. And that's something that Congress long ago said to the SEC to address those conflicts. And disclosure alone may not do it. It may not be good enough to say, hey, we have a conflict. Don't worry. Uh, we like you, too. Uh, it's, it's really we have to address those conflicts uh, and try to help the investing public out. Well, I'm going to be sure about this. We know that Justice Brandeis said that disclosure is the best disinfectant. You are now saying on air that disclosure may not be enough when it comes to the so-called gamification that some of these uh, organizations have. I think that, that in many ways, Robin, it is no different from DraftKings. If you get $100, if Mahomes scores a touchdown. We've said this for decades, my predecessors, uh, Republican and Democratic like we, we use the tools and the toolkit that Congress gave us. Uh, Congress can change those tools, but those tools include disclosure, really important, but we also are cops on the beat protecting the public when people are defrauded. And we do address some conflicts more specifically around our rule set. So we have a mix of tools. Disclosure, as Justice Brandeis said, is a very important piece of it, but it's not the only tool. All right. Speaking of disclosure, I want to move on to SPACs, because yesterday, uh, Chair Gensler, you did say you're looking at greater disclosures and looking at their inherent conflicts. I can tell you, having followed this market quite closely, there certainly is a misalignment of incentives oftentimes between sponsor and holder of SPAC shares. I can also tell you that when it comes to at least disclosure, recently I've been focused on reporting on redemption rates. We don't know sometimes uh, what percentage of SPAC shares are being redeemed. It's not something that is typically or always reported in a uniform fashion. Let me just start there. Is that a concern to you? Because it would certainly seem to be a material, uh, material information investors should know. I think that there's a number of areas, including, as you say, the redemptions. What a special purpose acquisition company is, is basically a blank check company raising sometimes hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars and saying, we will go find something in the next two years. Bear with us, we'll find something. But when we find something, there's a redemption. And many of the institutional investors and hedge funds that are in there redeem out and the retail public might be left with a small portion of the company. Yes, you might now, be left with a very small, a very small shareholder fees, base. Yeah, that's right. All the fees right. then fall on them. There's a 20% promote usually in the beginning. There's investment right. banking and lawyer fees and the like all along the way. And the often fees come out falls on the remaining retail yes. investors. But also a lot less cash is left, as you know. Uh, you know, they, they, they put projections out initially when they announced the deal for a certain amount of cash that's going to come from the trust and typically from a pipe. Uh, and then we're left with cash numbers that are far, far below what they had anticipated. Is that a concern for you at all? Yes. And, and you mentioned the uh, private investment in public equity or so-called pipe investors who come in later and they, too, sometimes get to buy at a discount. So the discounts they get 
the bankers, the lawyers, the accountants, and the promote at the beginning is significant cost, and the retail public that's still in is bearing the bulk of those costs. Well, Mr. Chairman, to follow up on that, uh, in the case momentous and stable road that you brought, there is just out-and-out fraud. And I think it's given people a safe harbor thinking, listen, if we don't have out-and-out fraud, we can make any projections we want out to, 20, uh, out to 2027. This is directly full many, many investors. How do we keep the investors from being fooled by phony projections? So I've asked, I've asked staff to make recommendations up to our five-member commission. We'll put it out to the public. We'll get notice, comment, and we'll see if we can finalize something on the issues you've raised. Better disclosure about all the fees, better disclosure, as you said, with regard to these redemptions. And then you just, Jim, raised about forecasts and projections. And while right. we in the security space address it elsewhere, I think we need to uh, uh, through our rule writing, also take that up here um, as a commission. Now, SPAC issuance has dropped off significantly. People seem to be getting the message. Are you encouraged by that? Are you happy that perhaps there are fewer SPACs being uh, not just taken public but doing deals, even though plenty are out there looking for deals? I think we still have our work cut out for us to uh, put out, to notice and comment, better disclosure regimes, better regimes writ large uh, with regard to special purpose acquisition companies. There's still five to ten new ones a month. There's 400 that are still looking and shopping for acquisition targets. Uh, uh, But whether there's one or there's 400, I think we can do a better job in terms of the disclosure and the, uh, uh, the protections for the retail investor. All right. Want to move on to China. We're getting limited time left here. Uh, no, actually, we're going to extend the time. We're, we are? Yeah, right now. Uh, has he agreed to that? Because no. I don't think he knows about it. I don't give, <laughs> Chairman Gensler wants to answer these questions. <laughs> All right, China. Chairman yeah, Gensler. Jim, I am going to be running into something for, for, for in a handful of minutes, but why don't we talk I'll about give, I'll give him a call, sir. This is just <laughs> too good. All right. Well, uh, you know, uh, uh, the VIE structure, you've written about it a number of times. Uh, in fact, uh, an op-ed earlier this week in the journal. How much of a concern is it to you? How much of what the SEC is doing should be viewed in light of what the Chinese regulators are doing as well? So uh, with regard to China-related companies, and I say China-related because they're not all based there. Many, many of these companies are based in the Cayman Islands. Um, We have a number of issues. Number one, was a basic bargain that we entered into in a bipartisan way about 20 years ago. Paul Sarbanes, Mike Oxley, and and George uh, W. Bush all worked together to say that if you're a public company in the U.S., your auditor has to be subject to auditing. Basically, audit the auditor, inspect the auditor. This is about trust in our capital markets. 50-plus jurisdictions have said, yep, you can do that. France, Germany, Switzerland, so forth. Two have not, China and Hong Kong. So Congress weighed in again late last year and said, guess what? We'll give it three years, but if they can't do it, these 200-plus companies that are China-related will have to uh, step out of our listed markets and be suspended in trading. Two is because China has said for many years, decades, that foreign ownership is prohibited in technology, Internet, and other spaces. Um, 
the lawyers and accountants came up with a structure called variable interest entities, where you actually do not invest in a China company. You invest in the Caymans, and that Cayman company has a series of contracts that may or may not be enforceable under China law. And by the way, there might not be even any cash that's flowing from the Chinese operating companies to the Cayman companies, and the ownership is still amongst friends, families, and other in China. So we've said, let's take a pause and get better disclosure. Back to Justice Brandeis, better right. disclosure about that variable entity, uh, uh, variable interest entity uh, structure. The Cayman Islands company needs to disclose more about what's going on. Thank heavens we need that. Now, I uh, speak to a lot of people about what happened in GameStop. Uh, and, sir, uh, I get the sense that we both want the millions of people who have come in to be as educated and be as good as possible. But there is a there is an angle. And the angle is, is that if three hedge fund members work in concert to smash a short hedge fund, these are uh, the five million Reddit people would say that's legal. Uh, and it perhaps shouldn't be. If five million people decide to smash a hedge fund that's short, is that OK? What is within the bounds of what you can do to smash a short sell? <laughs> well, I, again, I, as I said earlier, I'm not going to speak to one specific company or issuer and so forth. But I think that people come on to your, your show and they advocate either to buy or to sell a security before we had television, people did it on radio. Now we have uh, uh, various social media platforms. That's that's sort of uh, that's not only free speech, but it's part of what makes our capital markets robust. That people can disagree and disagree uh, uh, using the medium of the day. Um, but I also think that we do police the markets uh, for fraud, manipulation, for pump and dump schemes. And the like, and that's that's the important role of the SEC. Um, uh, Want to try and get through all the topics we'd outlined. So let me end here with Archegos. It's a long time ago uh, that we learned of this family office few of us had heard of that owned perhaps as much as what 25, 30 percent of Viacom shares and Discovery shares through total return swaps. Why haven't you done something to to make that less opaque? So total return swaps are something that uh, is a broader group called securities-based swaps that also includes credit swaps. And credit swaps were at the center of the 08 crisis and brought down the big insurance company AIG and others. And then total return swaps were at the heart of not only these events, but long-term capital management 24 years ago. We have done things at the SEC, and we're going to do more. We have, going live this November, a whole regime that oversees these securities-based swaps and makes more transparent, not only to the regulators, but starting next February to the public, the transactions in these securities-based swaps. In addition, I've asked staff for recommendations on how we can put out, with the thought of Archegos in mind, how we can put out aggregate information about the aggregate positions in uh, securities underlying the total return swap. So I think they're doing a lot. It's going live in November and next February. We're going to be doing more with regard to aggregate disclosure of these positions. All right. And finally, given everything we've covered here, it's clear the SEC has plenty on its plate. Do you have the resources to actually be effective as a regulator, given all the challenges you're facing? 
Uh, we, we, we are short-staffed. It might sound odd to say that at an agency with 4,400 remarkable, dedicated staff working remotely during this challenging pandemic. Um, but that's 4 to 5% less than we had just five years ago. We've got an IPO boom. We have a SPAC boom. We have cryptocurrencies to deal with. We have the issues we talked about earlier about China issues and, and the like. And we have more. Our capital markets are 100 plus trillion dollars. About half of that is the stock market. A little over half is the bond market. So I'd like to at least get back to where we were in 2016. And I think we should probably be 5 or 10% larger than that. Well, Chair Gensler, uh, we know you got a 9.30 call to get to. We have an opening bell as well. We certainly appreciate your spending so much time with us yes, this morning. Sir. Thank you. Thank you, You sir. all stay well, your families, and you stay safe in these challenging times. We will. Gary Gensler, chairman of the SEC, as we get ready for an opening bell two minutes from now. Plenty of news we can talk about, too. Yeah, I have to tell you that if I am in the, the uh, shoes of the people from Coinbase or people who are uh, in crypto, I think that you have cause for concern that perhaps things aren't as uh, as clear or disclosed and that maybe the risks are not disclosed. And that was terrific that he brought that up. Yeah. I, I mean, I do feel like a lot of it was history lesson, him giving us sort of the background to things. But he was schooling and Coinbase, not the other way. But the question still becomes when, sort of when are we going to actually see? And it takes a while. The rulemaking process, all of it takes a while. A, to a lot of it is, way, takes us through. right back to the definition of a security, which entails uh, listening to a history lesson of sorts, right? Well, I have to tell you, I didn't get any comfort, say, of the $60 billion tether about what's in it, because I don't think we know. I think that there's a lot of belief in safety all over the place that there may not be. I also liked that he really made it clear that perhaps some of these trading apps encourage too much trading and not much investing. That is not something that is usually the purview of the SEC, but this is a brand new world. Overall, David, I would imagine you get the sense that he is aware and conversant in all the buckets the SEC has to be active in right now. It does. I mean, we went through just five. We didn't even get to ESG and disclosure right. there. So much of it does come back to just disclosure, whether it's SPACs, whether it's China, VIE structure, whether it's ESG and how you measure it, Carl. Uh, but certainly, we, I think we can be confident they're aware of it. Whether they're going to do or what they'll do about it is obviously to keep up. Yeah, that's, as David said, what are you going to do about it? That's going to be the question for him on this interview and many to come. Let's get the opening bell here. CNBC Real Time Exchange at the big board. It's a loud one. Uh, running Shoemaker on celebrating its IPO at the NASDAQ. It's Definitive Healthcare also celebrating an IPO today. Uh, I am kind of uh, stunned in some ways about what Chairman Genzel was saying. He made the point that sunlight is the best disinfectant, that disclosure is good. But, David, didn't you get the sense that in some of the things that are happening, he doesn't think disclosure is enough? Some rulemaking that may directly impact, say, the millions of people who have joined trading and may be uh, confused that commission trading, that is go- that no commission trading is necessarily free. Yeah. Well, how do you view the comments there specific to payment forward or flow and or the future importance? Obviously, it, it is for Robinhood's business. How, well, you know, how should a shareholder there 
view that. Well, I think there's a false dichotomy that was pointed out. I think that the commissioner does not believe that uh, there is uh, a, a, that you either pay a lot in commission or you get payment for order flow. He has been saying that you know what doesn't have to be like that. Even though Senator Toomey said it, uh, that that's what Gensler's doing. I like the fact that I'm looking for these brokers that don't charge commission and don't rip you off for payment of order flow. People will just people will very much dislike the term ripping off. But I do think that Chairman Gensler thinks it's a false dichotomy. So do you think Brian Armstrong will think twice about threading again on Twitter? I think Brian Armstrong uh, and his CFO. Uh, hold Mr. Gensler in contempt, and that's a very ill-advised strategy because the last I looked, Mr. Armstrong runs a private company, and the purview of that company is Chairman Gensler. So when you take Gensler on, that's kind of like taking on the person who says, let me tell you what you can do and not what you school me on. I think that maybe uh, Mr. Armstrong is going to be a little more circumspect going forward for that interview. We'll find out. Yeah. Uh, well, plenty of other things for us to keep uh, an eye on this morning. I guess I got to start off with our parent company stock, which just cratered yesterday. Uh, Comcast shares down 7.3% this after Michael Cavanaugh. And we did, we did do it uh, yesterday, obviously, and told you about it, but uh, made some comments that indicated perhaps a slowing of growth in broadband. Not much of a rebound. No. It's funny, four years ago, same conference, different gentleman. I think it was Mr. Strauss who's still at the... Uh, still at the company. Same thing. Basically warned about slowing cable subs. Stock went down 7% in one day. So history repeated. Many of the investors were aware of those 2017 comments and immediately saw that and sort of did the same thing they did four years ago. They sold. I thought that the, well, the company, we work for the company. I thought the disclosure was appropriate. But I do think that the month of August is not necessarily the month you want to base a gigantic company's future on. I think you'd agree with me that August was a very influx month in this whole country. Yes, and COVID, as, as Kavanaugh pointed out, has created sort of disruptions and typical patterns of going back to school, of new household formation and things of that nature. And then, of course, uh, theme parks. Uh, this morning, Hollywood Reporter is confirming that JPEC will be with the president today uh, as the president meets with a number of CEOs trying to bolster support for vaccine mandates. Well, I think this is perfect because Mr. JPEC has been one of those people who says, you know, the people who work at... Disney World, we must ensure that they do not hurt the guests. So therefore, if you do not get vaccinated, perhaps you should move on after 60 days. I think that he's been the uh, role model that, that, at least for when it comes to President Biden. And remember, he's doing that in Florida, where the governor seems to think that everybody who's sick has the right to make us sick. I'm against that. Uh, once again, Jim, we're going to lean on energy uh, for the open here. We got Brent above 75, first time since the beginning of August. Um, Energy is definitely the most powerful sector to the upside today. And a lot of discussion about the pattern this week. Uh, better volume on down days. Right. Banks facing lower yields. Not great commentary on loan growth so far this week. No, there's real issues, again, that I think make it so that you do want to fade any upward movement. We watch the futures various times. They're flirting upward, and then by ah, 9, 9.45, they give it up. Uh, the the, the complex, uh, part of the oil complex that most worries me is the Widowmaker, and that's called natural gas. And I had Sharif Suki on last night, also Carly Garner, technician. Sharif Suki, uh, who is the chairman of Tellurian, we are in a bizarre arbitrage situation in this country. Natural gas is five, but David, you know natural gas is 16 in Europe. Unsustainable. We can send all of it over there and still get 
the and European we bargain. We send about 20 percent of our ex- of our production uh, we export. At and this you're worried point. that at a certain point that could be too much and well, drive prices but, up here. You know, there also is a growing concern about simply power production in Europe and something that yes. we need to keep an eye yes. on from a macro perspective in terms of their economies. They rely on wind to some extent. Apparently, the wind is not blowing the way it was. I know right. that sounds strange, but it's true. No. And, you know, you need backup supplies of power. They may not have as much as they want. Meanwhile, here, as you point out, or redundancy is, is lacking. Um, here, you, you know, where you've got the natural gas, you don't have the pipeline capacity, Jim, to potentially provide it. That is from the Northeast. Nobody's building a new pipeline. Well, they've tried, yeah. and it's being blocked. There's a, a pipeline that is going right through a piece of property I own. And if you go there, you can see uh, it ain't happening. And this administration has made it so pipelines that are in existence are worth a great deal more. I've, I've been speaking to Chevron tonight, uh, which has a, a great, a really great perspective on all of this. But let's just say that Sharif Suki is saying, don't worry, we got a lot of natural gas in the country. But as David said, we can't get it to where it has to go, but we will get it there eventually. Yeah, but propane prices also are through the roof. So That's a regular cost for individuals. It, I know. If you heat your house with propane, uh, get ready. It's going to be a get ready. I'm ready. Winter. I got the bill. Fill up the tank. That was, uh, I think, it was B of A earlier in the week. If winter is super cold, could you be looking at a hundred dollars on on crude? Uh, if it's super cold, uh, I think it's a possibility. But a lot of us has to do with the fragility that we didn't realize of the infrastructure placed in an area. Remember, we decided a long time ago that all of our infrastructure for plastics and for exports should be in Louisiana and Texas. Right. Well, you know what? Those are areas that are not as stable. We are still dealing with item wiping out so much of our production. Yeah. That's and not, incredible. And not, not all of it back. Meanwhile, when it comes to the Permian and oil, it, it, we're not producing a lot more at this point. Right. We were always seen as a swing discipline. producer. We're, There's tremendous discipline. There is. And return of capital, I guess, in the form of dividends that are paying themselves. But who's so what do you want to own there then? I mean, you want to own Chevron know, because I think that Chevron, did you know, the same day that engine one yeah. won, Chevron was defeated in some of its own in, in, a, in a very important uh, particular item about spending more money on Basically, on what do you want to call conservation? You want to call right. it well, they increased their uh, significantly their expenditure on, on three billion to ten billion carbon yesterday. But does that would that mean that seven billion that might have gone to create yeah. to to giving us a reliable source of energy? I don't know. I think that they the balance here with a lot of these companies, Carl, is can they do ESG? Can they do what's right for the economy and what's right for the environment and still pay the dividends? Right. Because J.P. Morgan said, you know what, oil's got to stay higher for Chevron to be able to do it, and then they damn win it anyway. I do know a number of people looking at some of the smaller producers that are publicly traded that aren't hedged, because that's an important component of it as well. Even with prices going up, if you're hedged, you're not going to benefit nearly as much from it. So you want to look for those companies that perhaps don't have significant hedges on Or hedges coming off. Or hedges coming off. Pioneer is tremendous growth, by the way, and Gavin is the company I think has the best growth and also the best capital discipline. That's Rick Moncrief, who's regarded right now, along with Scott Sheffield, who's at Pioneer as being the two people who have the best handle on how to make the most money for shareholders, which was not in the cards for many, many years. Uh, we are getting some support from uh, Microsoft. 11% div hike, a $60 billion buyback announcement, as the general trend on buybacks, Jim, is that they are coming back fairly significantly. It's interesting that I had uh, Nikesh Arora on last night from 
Palo Alto, and people are cheering him because he's now focused more on buybacks and he's on acquisitions. Uh, they have, by the way, I was hacked pretty badly, and I believe I was hacked because of I, I brought in a TV, a smart TV. There was nothing else that changed in my life, and boom, they have a device called the Okio, which now is good for home office. I'm going to get this as soon as I can because it detects whether you've been te- hacked at home. Right. It's been a very bad hack for me, and the, I can't find where the, I breached it other than my smart TV where I was not clever enough, and I used a password that was equivalent of Jim Kramer. Oh, God. <laughs> well, you know, I was not that stupid. James no, I know. Kramer. I hear you. Listen, we all, I know. I'm not, you, I, I named I know it, the new one is the two dogs spelled backwards plus a previous dog we, that I once had that I no longer have. We do the whole dog various, yeah. Do you think vets are attacking You need two-factor authentication. You need all that stuff. you got to be careful. I know. You know that. Um, guys, I did want to put a button on our coverage of the rails, at least for now, uh, because uh, last night I did tweet that uh, Canadian uh, National was standing down, wouldn't uh, try to improve its offer to buy Kansas City Southern, paving the way for them to enter into a new agreement to be acquired by Canadian Pacific, which, of course, if you've been following this for any period of time, know that they originally had a deal to be acquired by Canadian Pacific until Canadian National came in with a higher bid that they accepted but that then went awry when the STB said you can't use a voting trust. So we're back. Kansas Canadian Pacific announced they've entered into that merger agreement with Kansas City Southern this morning. Uh, they will acquire KCS in stock and cash, enterprise value about $31 billion. And for now, Canadian National goes away with $700 million net. They uh, paid $700 million originally okay. to get $1.4 billion back, and that's where things stand, guys, but did want did to and that one. Right. And I also wanted to end uh, this win situation, the casinos. Yes. If you value well, win right here, I've on, got some numbers. On, what do you, so, some of the parts. Yeah. Okay. This, uh, it's right now at 87, it values Vegas and Boston at 13 times and 11 times EBITDA. Okay. These are the different properties. It's some of the parts. I'm using a 20% decline in revenues. Don't forget, they have 58% stake in Win Interactive. It's now down well below what DraftKings is. Finally, Macau valuation is selling at six times EBITDA. Uh, roughly half of what we value Vegas. So, Carl, I think that what you are factoring in at uh, 82, 83 is, is that there's got to be maybe a 35% decline by the Chinese. I don't think the Chinese are going to do that, but that's a serious worst case. That's the worst two days for win shares the- since the pandemic began, uh, yeah. March of 2020. Uh, people asking why uh, the Chinese establishing a 45-day review in which they could potentially install government officials to supervise day-to-day operations, trying to get casino operators to emphasize non-gaming type activities. Yeah, well, but non-gaming, what non-gaming is what you give away in order to get the gamers. I can remember people being concerned about these, these licenses coming up for renewal in 2022, years ago, when the Trump administration was obviously having quite a few tensions with China. Or when Steve it's went- not as though this was... <laughs> unfamiliar territory to a lot of investors here. But, but let me tell you something. Um, so my what's chap- deviating from expectations, I guess, well, is the question. My charitable trust felt that 100, it started to factor in this uh, because I was using a 20% haircut. I now feel that these stocks are reflecting the idea that uh, the President Xi doesn't want anyone to lose a lot of money at a casino. And he doesn't like rich people having a darn good junket to win. I don't think at a certain point he wants to wipe them out. Steve Wynn talked about that. Do they want to wipe us out? But this, you've got a slowing in the economy, Carl, that is mandated by President Xi. And I don't know, President Xi does not seem like uh, he liked the movie Casino, David. <laughs> right? 
Alan King. Alan King. And Rickles. Don't forget Rickles. Oh, can never my. Forget Rickles, what is a cast that was. Wow. Well, uh, maybe we should send that to President Xi, but put it on Showtime or something, you know, maybe a remake. He doesn't understand that the Casino Gaming Commission is just as, just as uh, honest as the uh, Politburo. Uh, we did speak with uh, Gary Gensler, of course, for the first half of our uh, of our hour here. Uh, quite a lot of things to cover, including, of course, we started with crypto, those uh, pointed comments from the CEO of Coinbase last week. Uh, and, of course, Mr. Gensler had a number of thoughts on the subject, particularly in terms of whether or not many of these tokens and the lending aspect of the business as well sort of represents the security. Take a listen. I think the laws are clear, the case law, the Supreme Court's weighed in on this multiple times, uh, and that many of these tokens uh, do come under the securities laws, and to the extent that a platform, a lending platform, or a trading platform, whether centralized or so-called decentralized, and I say so-called, has securities on it, our uh, investor protection uh, regime is there to protect the public. I think the public benefits from that, and that's what we're trying to do. Any takeaway from that in terms of what it means for whether you want to own Coinbase and or other related issues? Uh, I think that what you... I own Ethereum. By the way, uh, Senator Toomey has a position in some of these cryptos. Yeah. And I felt that it is vital that we find out what is in Tether, what is in this stable coin. Uh, I think the first thing he said to me was that uh, Tim Massett, friend of mine from law school, former head of CFTC, is really worried about what is in Tether, $60 billion. I think Mr. Gensler is too. He did not tell us what's in it because I don't think he knows. And he should know. That's a problem. But they won't tell him. Jim, we haven't yet uh, reflected on Apple uh, and the product unveil yesterday, leading with Apple TV, uh, the iPad, the iPad mini, the iPhone 13, some of these A15 Bionic chips. Uh, but the stock did end down about a percent yesterday. Yeah, it rallied a little bit. And then, uh, Tony Saganegi, who I regard as being a person who comes on CNBC a lot, uh, he's from Sanford Bernstein. He did what I think is a lot of people are saying, which is that it's a yawner, basically. He won't like that word, but I, that's when I was listening to him. I said, oh, he thinks it's a yawner. Uh, I don't. I think it's a way to open accounts if you're from T-Mobile or ATT or Verizon. That's what matters. And those of us who are figuring about getting a phone, we shouldn't be thinking that it's at cost X. We should be trying to switch to T-Mobile or somebody, David, and or get ATT a good... Apparently or ATT, apparently, is a good amount. Yeah, no, they, how much do they want to lose, ATT? Is that continuing their philosophy? They're lo- losing... The, it seems to be... You some, just can't find your way to anything nice to say about AT&T, can you? I think that they're nice people. You do? Yeah, very nice. Very nice people. I don't know. I, I got to get my my daughter's got to get a new phone. So I got to figure this out. I'm not going to screw it up like I did with my son and just pay full price at so the Apple thinking? store while I what wait for thinking? four hours. You look at T-Mobile, John I, Ledger. I'm, I'm looking like at Siever? them all. What do you mean, Siever, not Ledger? No, I'm saying John yes. Ledger. You know, looking I, at all of it. I'm looking at all of it. I, Verizon, though, is the official partner of the NFL. Does that matter to you? I have this yes. is like a 1G. This is the 10. It's like a 1G. I was trying to update my fantasy portfolio. You know, I, I got up at 3.30 to see how I did on the waiver wire. At 7 o'clock, I found out that I, I had dropped so, most shirts. So no and cinematic I, and I, I, mode. I got Kirk. No cinematic mode on your phone. Cinematic I mode. I am Mr. Circle. What are you watching there, Jim? The Circle. The Circle. She's in, looking at Instagram. She's checking on everybody's dog. 
Me? I got to circle. Speaking of Instagram, uh, the Journal has been doing some pretty serious reporting on Facebook. I assume you guys have both seen it. We're going to talk to, I think, the reporter on Tech Check today. But a remarkable look at uh, some of the internal documents and what they know ostensibly about what at least Instagram does to, say, the feelings of teenage girls. Anxiety, depression. My daughter was... uh, was a helpful, but yeah, she was a counselor for a suicide program uh, for a young women. I would call it suicide, troubled women. And the first thing they do is they try to take the phone away. They lock them up because of Facebook, because of Instagram. And what happens? The kids find a way to break in because they can't stay away. And we know that the bullying well, never ends. Any parent of a teenage girl knows there are potential deleterious effects from uh, Instagram usage. Um, and Facebook seems to know it too. Yes. The question is, Jim, does Facebook, and this was brought up in the Journal article a number of times, does it become like tobacco? Oh, man, you sound like... I'm just... Like, they they you raised like, sound that like question. Senator Benny... I mean, Mark Benny... Benioff, yeah. One of the first to, to well, say the tobacco analog. I, my problem with that is, is that the tobacco companies, well, maybe you're saying the memos indicate they know, too. That's, well, remember the tobacco executives who came to the Hill? Of course. I know nothing. I know no. That was uh, Sergeant Schultz. We know different. And then the huge, you know, the huge state funds that have been appropriated to, wow, to deal with. You think there could be a special maybe there'll master? Be a huge state, yeah, maybe to deal with mental health, which is a huge issue in this country right now. I think It that, always is, but even bigger as a result of the pandemic and some of the other things. I think Facebook helps small business. Okay. Oh, wow. Did we go 47 minutes with no commercials? That's what Comcast is about. Maybe that's what Comcast is about. Comcast is going to go down on that. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Things are Uh, tough enough. We do have some swings here in the equity markets. Dow's now up 92. Uh, SpaceX, by the way, gearing up for an historic all-civilian space flight. Our Morgan Brennan is at the Kennedy Space Center. Good morning, Morgan. Good morning, Carl. Well, this is an historic site for an historic launch. That's 39A. That is the launch pad leased to SpaceX, where Apollo and Space Shuttle era astronauts began their journeys to space decades ago. If all goes according to plan, tonight, four private citizens in the first ever fully commercial all-civilian mission to orbit will join that list. I sat down with the crew ahead of this major milestone. We've got that discussion, plus all the details as we count down to liftoff. That is coming up at the top of the hour. Stay tuned to Squawk on the Street. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. 
Time for the bond report. See how treasuries are faring following the release of the industrial production data earlier this hour. We did get about uh, four tenths, looking for five tenths. Empire was pretty good. Uh, yields climbing back a bit, uh, getting closer to 130. Over in the UK, uh, inflation rising at its fastest pace in almost a decade. Consumer prices in August up 3-2 year on year. There's a look at the gilt. Dow's up 115. Don't go away. We could try to explain what it's like to get your work done on a John Deere mower, compact tractor, or Gator XUV. But to really understand the feeling, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. Time for Jim and stop trading. No more stalling. Uh, Jim Farley tells me from the CEO of, of Ford that they are now doing a real test with Walmart, a terrific partner. He adds they're going to be testing self-driving systems in the real world. So it's finally occurring to move uh, to get Walmart delivery. I think it's a very big deal. Uh, I know this Argo project is no longer a project. Now it's business. So self-driving cars, they're here. They're here, David. They're here. They are? Yeah, they're like the... Yeah, they're here. Because we, we, we thought they would be here. Well, they are Even here. We thought maybe last year they would have really been here. They're not here on the they're streets here. of New York City. Walmart is a real company. I know David likes to do specials on it, but doesn't go there. I go there and haven't done specials on it. I think it's very good to have this kind of delivery. Look out, Amazon. Yeah. Now we got to get Chassis. more regulators on, on that story. Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. We need disclosure there. On what, what, autonomous cars? Well, if there's no one in driving it, and well... But the trucking routes, to your point, are the ones that are going to be the ones first ad, first adopted. Well, they're doing a bunch of cities. They're straight. Multi-city driverless delivery. another point and drop yeah. something off, and then you load on another truck that can then do... Right. Yeah, you got that right, David. I think so. I think I'm right. Yeah, Argo. Argo. So, Chevron, Chevron tonight? Chevron, yes. Uh, that's Mike Worth. We're going to talk about the trade-off between trying to get become more ESG, cleaner... Okay, and wow, look at that! The dividend and growth and Remember whether shareholders Chuck Robbins used to come on our show. Chuck, yeah, I took him. I, that's that's okay. Uh, Chuck Robbins has analyst day. All right, and then Weber. Yeah, I mean, Weber. are you grilling? Will you, are people now switching to grills that have that are plug-in because they're worried about propane, not just the cost, David, but if you run out of propane, it's a reason to get divorced. <laughs> nice upside uh, guidance on uh, on revenue from Weber yes. today, Jim. We'll see you tonight. Mad Money, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.